You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. Yes, yes, yes. Do your own damn research. Welcome back to another episode of NFT 365. And, you know, it's the the beautiful world of NFTs. And the reason this podcast was set up on a daily basis was because whenever I was challenged about doing a podcast in the NFT space, I said, you know what? It cha- things change too much in this NFT space to do a weekly podcast. I would have to do a daily podcast. And I mean, I'm not going to say as a futurist that I'm always right, but that part I am damn right about is that things are always changing, uh, not only uh, around the, you know, directly in the NFT space, but also around it with everything from crypto to metaverse to uh, the creator coin landscape. And, you know, definitely want to give a shout out. You know, this uh, podcast is super powered by the ADHD coin over at rally.io. And we are pushing past 1350. We have over 1,350 supporters of the ADHD coin. Uh, and I can tell you back in December, uh, the idea that we would one day have 1,000 uh, supporters of the coin to me seemed far off. And now a couple months later, and we are, we are pushing past 1350 uh, of people that are supporting uh, the ADHD super powered coin and just appreciate all those that are, are holding the coin, hopefully enjoying some time in the discord. We've been doing some, uh, airdrops just about every day. We dropped uh, $93 worth of ADHD, uh, this morning and we did a couple of others uh, yesterday as well. So thanks everyone for supporting. And I will tell you, you know, when I was joking or you know, kind of laughing about all of the change happening here, um, in the NFT space, you know, the, the Super Bowl being, you know, right upon us is also one that, you know, I feel like the NFT space has been speculating about the Super Bowl for what seems like months. And uh, it's kind of like speculating on, you know, NFT drops and which NFT is going to be a blue chip. Uh, there's a whole lot of information, a whole lot of noise, but I, I don't even know who to believe in most of the cases. But with that being said, uh, excited to have our guest today, and uh, Data NFT is our guest today, and he's someone that I've followed for a good while here on Twitter, and you know whose names come up in in multiple conversations with people that I trust in this space, people that I've either known from a previous life or people that I started to build relationships with, and so I had to reach out, um, and it kind of nice kind of coincided with the fact that um, we had, you know, Bored Becky was on the podcast talking Fame Lady Squad uh, a couple weeks back. And now we kind of get to extend that conversation, but also jump into a little bit more. And if anything, most people know that like the thing I geek out the most on is data as a whole. So having data as a guest, I think we're good to go. So uh, data, thanks for jumping in. Thanks for joining us. Uh, If you don't mind, introduce yourself to the audience. Give us a little bit of your background and, and how you kind of came into the NFT space. Yeah. Honored to be here. Thanks for that intro and congrats on a daily podcast. 94 days. You said that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, crazy is a hundred percent the case. Definitely crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's ambitious. I, I, uh, I applaud you for that. Um, yeah, so I'm data NFT. I've been in the space since, uh, before the V friends mint, I got, I got, I was brought in through Gary V been kind of a long follower his since the wine library TV days. And course in kind of the boredom that has been the pandemic and scrolling feeds he pops up and is like go buy ethereum i'm releasing this thing called nfts and so kind of dipped my toe in back in early may and then was immediately hooked it just like the vibe the positivity people paying it forward the generosity the feelings that i've i've kind of had during that in those first and still have kind of relating to collecting baseball cards or Pokemon cards or Beanie Babies growing up and like some of the most fun times of childhood for sure. So there was just instant kind of love at first sight with NFTs for me. And that's been a crazy journey since then. Um, You know, I'm kind of after V Friends ends, 
trying to figure out what's next. That was fun. Let's do it again. See these things called Bored Apes. I'm like, eh, doesn't really vibe with me. I'm going to pass on that one. Um, and of course, that was like the biggest mistake of my NFT career, passing at them at point one. And, you know, Fame Lady Squad is really the next big project that I got involved with, which I'm going to spare the D. I'll give you the, the 30 second uh, story. Um, it was supposed to be the first 10K generative all female project founded by all women. I was super drawn to it because kind of coming up to that, there had been so many male-dominated projects. Alien Boy, Apes are mostly male-dominated, Yetis, Pirates, etc. And so this felt new and fresh and kind of a counterbalance to what else was out there. A couple months later, lo and behold, turns out the founders aren't actually female, they're men. Um, big up, kind of rising from the community. A lot of upset people with the help of Art Chick, we kind of leverage the project out of the hands of these men and it's turned over to the community. And I was one of kind of three or four community members who was chosen to run with things from there. And the rest is kind of history. We've been working hard at that, but kind of, you know, on the separately from that, I've kept up my own kind of brand persona. And really for me, it's all about helping people make smart decisions in the space and, I happen to use data a lot of the time to do that, but I, you know, feel strongly that a lot of people here with, I think probably teams of analysts um, at investment banks or elsewhere taking advantage of the little guy. And I'm trying to equip the little guy with the tools they need to compete on the playing field. So I love that. So the first thing I have to, I have to ask from just from the curiosity part, you know, we've, we've addressed like, um, you know, having aliases or a pseudonym here on, on the podcast. And, you know, I, I had the opportunity to sit down with board Elon a while back, uh, and just discuss kind of his origin of all of that. I'm curious, you know, is, is there a driving force between behind, uh, going by data or is it something you kind of just lean into yeah. as, it, as it went? It was actually kind of, it was kind of given to me. So I have, five or six different NFT handles. Each one was kind of a persona created around an NFT from a project that I really loved. Um, and originally this handle was like lady number 1438. And I would jump in the discord and chat with people. And I drop also, I, I have these dashboards I've created that I, I use to drive a lot of my decision-making and I would just drop, tons of graphs, data, insights, knowledge. And then all of a sudden, everyone's calling me data lady. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Uh, and, you know, always when data lady, when more data. And so I kind of, I was like, okay, I guess my name's data lady. Well, after the whole thing with the women who turned out to be men, I felt that I needed to be a little bit, not that I ever pretended to be female or a woman. Um, I needed to be a little bit more transparent. So I dropped the lady from my name. And here we are as data. So I, I like it, uh, you know. And I'm one that you know. I've said this before on the podcast. I when I started with Twitter, I, I created ten Twitter accounts. Uh, then I realized that was a little crazy, so I managed eight Twitter accounts for about five years because <laughs> uh, I thought eight was better than ten. Uh, and I still, I still am, uh, you know, hyperactive across three uh, different, you know, Twitter accounts that are, are personas, uh, you know, and I kind of align with that. And I, and I understand, like, I think that's also kind of an um, important aspect of, you know, of this space is kind of, you know, how people, you know, kind of emerge or how they're using the, the different platforms. And you know, I want to you know, tie in. You, you mentioned coming in uh, through Gary V, and I, I will say that's. Such a you know it's such a you know a massive thread in this space and you know I've been blessed you know to uh, have shared the stage with Gary back in 2013 and then uh, got some time with him back in 2014 and and funny enough like you know I like so many kind of got the wind whenever uh, Gary was leaning into NFTs uh, about V friends and I've told the story before I loaded the ETH in the wallet and then uh, I just didn't have the the you know the actual balls to pull the damn trigger uh, and I say balls in the sense of like I went I I actually pressed you know, buy now. I, I, it said, you know, all I had to do was say confirm or accept. And I, I did not do that. Uh, so 
I'm curious from your you know standpoint of that like first V Friends to even when Fame Ladies came out, you mentioned you you passed up uh, Bored Apes. I I you know mistakenly uh, went into a clubhouse room uh, on Bored Ape launch day and was mocking uh, all of the random weirdos that had these apes as their profile photos. And you know, lo and behold, we know who should they should, who was the one that's uh, laughing now. But I'm curious, like that that journey from pulling the trigger on V Friends to kind of you know, walking into fame ladies and then kind of taking on a, a larger role there. How, how much involved were you outside, like outside of V friends in the NFT community, or did you kind of just like hyper focus on V friends in those early days? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, you know, like how does one pull the trigger? I, I don't blame you first of all for, uh, I guess, chickening out or, or not being able to pull the trigger. It, it was a tough moment. It was early, right? This is pre-board apes. This is, you know, there's basically punks yep, and, uh, you know, a hodgepodge of other things. And that's about it. And for me, a couple of things. One is I kind of started getting back into collectibles in the fall of 2019. I was like people popping up on my feed, opening, you know, sealed boxes of 1997 first edition Pokemon cards and pulling Charizards and selling them for 600K. And I was like, holy shit, I have a Charizard. Let me go find it. Of course, it's been given away. Uh, it's no longer in my parents' attic. But of course, that was after days of searching. And I kind of got the bug. I went and bought some new Pokemon packs. And there was, it was actually kind of like a moment where Pokemon was having a resurgence. You had to wait in line at Target exactly at you know 8.47 in the morning. And there was no running rules. And so I kind of like had my collectibles juices flowing a bit before then. It's also at a pivot point in my career. I left kind of a career and a job that I'd been in a career that I'd been in for, you know, over 10 years and job for over six, um, building, designing and building apps and websites. And I was kind of looking for something new. And so I was like, Hey, this is an interesting thread. NFTs are interesting. I really trust Gary because I followed him for 15 years and kind of seen his evolution. And I, I get his vision. I get what he's trying to do here. And like, do I think he can pull it off and it'll be crazy successful? Maybe not, but I don't think I'm going to lose my money. And I initially went in thinking I'm going to buy one. And of course, I minted five at the end, um, including a couple of specs. And about day three of that five-day minting period, I was like, holy shit, one year from now, these will be $100,000 each, which we're damn close to. And this is incredible. I 100% see what he's trying to do and see the dedication passion, I think, the Easter eggs that he included with signatures and fives, the different, you know, kind of the way he's imbued every character with these different traits of surrounding positivity and how that could clearly extend into children's programming or other types of motivational kind of arenas. I just a hundred percent clicked for me. Um, and of course then I'm like throwing all the money I can get in there. But at that point, Coinbase had like the seven day clearing period. And so was able to get super lucky to, to mint a few. And you know, it was interesting because you know, you, you were laughing at the goofy apes. I was like, great, be friends. I have three years of a conference. He's talking about like dropping free oysters to people with observant oyster. And these apes get me into a bathroom, a <laughs> digital bathroom. Like, what? Yep. Um, so I was kind of like a bit of a roller coaster. And I, you know, modeled the pricing of vfriends and looked at okay well let me stack rank what all of them sold for to understand like the different tiers in terms of like what what are the most in-demand characters etc and i flighted those into six different tiers and kind of modeled how those reacted over time and that drove a lot of my decision making when it came to purchasing but then vfriends quickly became i got priced out i think almost everyone did you know instantly two ETH and then instantly six ETH. And I was like, I can't flip these. I don't have that liquidity. I can't play around with them. I have this data. I can't really do much. Let's go find another project that's cheap. And Fame Lady Squad happened to be that kind of the first one I really sunk my te- teeth into. Nice. So I, and I love that. And, you know, for the listeners, you know, I, you know, I, for me, like so much of this space is about, you know, that positivity. I also, you know, connect deeply with the, the data side of the house and also kind of like that, 
you know, reverse engineering and, and trying to identify, you know, what works. And, you know, I, I pinned a tweet up here as we're recording this live on, on Twitter spaces. But, you know, I also, you know, I really appreciate your, you know, candor to the space. I think we both uh, align in kind of come, you know, our, our messages. And I think it's interesting, like, my background is, you know, I went to school with a web design concentration with a computer science degree. Uh, and so, like, when you said that as well, like, I, I kind of, you know, laugh in, like, the sense of which projects were, uh, you know, kind of aligned with or things that we like. And, you know, if you compared uh, our bags and, like, the idea of which projects that we're both supporting, we have lots of overlap, including, you know, you're, you're wearing an expansion punk uh, right now uh, on Twitter. And, and that's one of my very favorite projects here um, in the NFT space. I had Jeremy on the podcast, uh, which, which seems like a couple weeks ago, but I think it was actually two months ago. Um, and, <laughs> and so I'm curious, you know, from, you know, you mentioned a little bit about the, the V friends and I'll get into fame ladies in a minute, but I'm curious from a, you know, from a data perspective, you know, the most popular question we get here, uh, you know, from through the podcast is, uh, you know, we're buying an NFT every single day for a year. So we bought, you know, and we're, the goal is to buy one during the mint phase and we're holding them all until November. So I'm really studying like data from a long-term hold also like which projects are still going to be around in November. And, you know, a lot of that is um, a little bit different than I would say my traditional research for my own personal bag, where I'm kind of looking at things a little bit differently, sometimes even further out, but also sometimes in a, in a shorter term. I'm curious from, you know, just from the question we get a lot is like, how did you discover new projects? And then like, how do you compare project to project? And you kind of mentioned, you know, Fame Ladies being the next one you jumped into. Uh, I'm curious, like, you know, from Fame Ladies to now, you know, I would argue like right now we're in like the over mint phase where it's like 333 projects are, are launching every, every single day at like a variety of mint points. And, uh, you know, part of them are rug pulls. Unfortunately, we're seeing that as a, as a trend as well. So I'm curious, like, what is, what is your, like, uh, do you have like kind of a, a go-to when you're kind of examining projects that are either new projects or projects that you're looking at and saying, Hey, I'm going to jump in here, even though I might not have minted it. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, so I kind of have a strategy. I have the big four, which is really, it's, it's the founding team, the art, the utility and the community. But at the end of the day, it's really all about the founding team because the founding team sets the tone for the community. They're the ones who create the art and they're the ones who set the roadmap, right? So roadmap, art, and utility, uh, sorry, utility, art, and community are all just manifestations of who the team is, right? They're signals to help you understand, hey, this team's really got it together. Um, so kind of those are the things I'm looking at from a high level. Now the question is, okay, well, how do you evaluate community? Um, it's a little hard to do that from a scientific perspective scientific perspective there's kind of a feel jumping into the discord chatting with some people watching the chat how frequently are people chatting is it showing up on twitter do i know people with it or you know why what are people posting about it on twitter does the art resonate with me do i feel some sort of connection to it does it feel fresh and different um you know roadmaps and utility i would argue that there's maybe one or two projects out there with what I would call utility. The rest is just freebies and fake collabs that are just co airdrops. Right. And so I, you know, I think we've really yet to see what real utility can be with some of these projects. Now, what you'll notice is all of those things I just talked about, didn't talk about data once. <laughs> yep. And, and that's, that's two reasons. One so much of this is intangible, right? It's about people feeling connected to each other and to a project coalescing around an idea, right? Or some sort of theme, right? Crypto mores and, and um, mental health, boss beauties and empowering women. Women can be whatever they want to be. Uh, world of women and empowering female artists and having monthly airdrops, um, paying female artists to do that, right? And so those things can't necessarily be measured. Now, I, I, let me talk a little bit about the data, which is I am a microeconomist by trade and by kind of passion, right? I like to look at 
one-to-one or one-to-many human interactions. Macroeconomics was never my thing, right? Looking at the larger economy trends, et cetera. And so the same applies to me when I'm looking at data for projects. So for me, I have a really good sense for five or six projects where you show me an NFT. I know what the rare traits are. I probably know what the average sales price have been because I've been staring at those those um, charts forever. I know how the, the average sale price for that rare trait has trended over time. And I know if that's priced below it, not just what the floor has been for that rare trait, but for what it's actually been selling for, for that rare trait. And same with combination trades, et cetera. And so I tend to focus on finding, finding a project I love and then using data to extract what I think are the most desirable tokens and finding those at a discount. So I love that you went there and, you know, I, I pinned a couple of tweets here. You know, I think there's, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that you were the one that tweeted it out about like, you know, that, you know, that you've, you've done your research and you understand a project when all you have to do is see one of the, the NFTs and yeah. you you like, and yeah. as soon as you said that, I was laughing. Cause I was like, Oh my, like that is so spot on to how I feel. And, you know, and I know, you know, there, there's also kind of this, like the emerging of like, I love using data to either, you know, identify the mistakes I made on something or in many cases, you know, what turns it something into success. But I also love the idea of feel. And I, and I you know, I did an episode earlier, you know, I played uh, semi-professional poker for a good while, you know, in the middle of my, my professional career. And, and a lot of my poker game where I was, I was known as the millennial that sucked at online poker. And, and part of that was people were like, wait a second, you're a data guy. Like, wouldn't you be good? And I was like, well, I'm, I've never claimed to be great at math. I'm great at understanding like data and <laughs> insights, but uh, the yeah. data I'm best at is human data. Like sit me at a poker table, give me eight hours with a table of nine people. And through my conversation, through watching, you know, body language, I'll be able to tell you trends, baseline, uh, body habits. Like those are type of like the elements that fall in. And I think, Oftentimes there's like these assumptions like, oh, if, if you're, if you've made these great decisions on NFTs, you must be looking at some of this, you know, amazing data of, you know, spreadsheets galore and, and breaking down like the mint price versus, you know, the floor price and some of those things. And so I, I really appreciate that kind of that view on like the feel and the look and, and I'm curious, you know, as you mentioned, some of the projects, you know, uh, like, like Boss Beauties and World of Women, and uh, I mentioned, you know, Expansion uh, Punks, also Expansion Apes are, are ones that I know we both um, kind of cross over on. When you're, you know, for those that are listening now, and, and you've been in the game, you've been, you know, accumulating, you know, a, a massive amount of, of NFTs, you've also kind of been really focused on, you know, educating and kind of hoping, uh, helping people kind of either avoid the mistakes or understand like the importance of like even just being patient like what does being patient to you mean in the nft space because it's easy for us to put it out there but it's like hey what does being patient mean because i i fomo into way too much stuff so i'm probably asking for myself just as much as the audience yeah i i mean it's a great question for, first i want to address you know your description of sitting at a table and being able to read these baseline with people right you had an innate sense, whether that comes from experience or just the way you were built, right? You had this sense and you're able to kind of, without actually seeing the numbers, into it a situation, right? And for people who don't have that, they need the data, right? And I think that for me, I've developed that innate sense for a lot of these projects, for rarities, for understanding that. But, you know, doesn't mean that the origins weren't based on data-driven insights, right? Um, the Okay, let's get back to patience. So it's a great question. I think if I look at my portfolio and my trades and just like over time, the good moves I've made and the bad moves, every bad move I've made was either FOMOing into a project or selling too early because I wanted to FOMO into a different project. <laughs> I call that selling FOMO, right? <laughs> selling so, FOMO, I like that. Right. So it's like I'm having FOMO about this other project. So I'm fire sailing something, right, to be able to have enough capital or liquidity to then go buy that project I want to FOMO into. Right. And so all of my mistakes have been from those two things. And every one of my successes has been from being patient. And um, let me tell, let me also put something into perspective. There are very few products I have conviction for. I've been here for almost nine months. So the friends 
and there are, let me preface this. There are dozens, if not hundreds of amazing projects out there. I focus my time on V friends, fame, ladies, world of women, boss beauties, dapper dinos, X punks, fang gang, and, uh, crypto mores, right? That's eight. Um, that's only, it's less than one a month. I average, right? So, Part of what I, I try to convey to people is if you're only looking for one good project a month and that all it takes, that's all it takes to see, you know, I have 2000% return on my initial investment, right? That's all it takes to see a crazy return. All of a sudden it puts into perspective for you the 17 mints today. I, you know, if I haven't researched it and I don't feel like I really have a comfortable understanding of that community and that team and their roadmap. I shouldn't be buying, right? And so having the patience to just pick the projects where you have great conviction for. And, you know, you're not always going to pick winners, right? The truth. And, <laughs> and that's okay, but at least you were smart about the ones you did pick. So I, I love that idea of like kind of you're identifying like those eight projects that, you know, that you've you know, kind of not only kind of gone all in on, but you kind of are understanding them at like a very, you know, trait, rarity, you know, what matters level. And I'm curious, just because of, you know, that kind of, kind of being brought up, you know, I've had this debate for a, a good while, you know, and I, and I believe I've heard Gary talk about it recently as well. You know, the, the rarity tools, the rarity sniper world, you know, there is an element of like where that makes sense. And then there are other projects where, you know, there's a characteristic or property that ends up becoming the thing that, that uh, most people want or the thing that, you know, is people kind of uh, are drawn to and that becomes the, the one that's maybe the most prized. Right. And I, I don't even want to use board apes as an example because, you know, that has, you know, become, you know, it's a lot less about the one that's most rare and a lot more about which one do, you know, right now do celebrities see themselves in. Uh, so I'm curious from your standpoint, like when you're, when you're kind of analyzing those projects that you love, you know, is there a point where you're like, wait a second, like, although I understand like which ones are being more valued, I see this trend or I see people kind of, you know, you know, kind of leaning towards one way or the other. And, and I'll, for the audience, I'll give an example, like in, you know, Crypto Chicks, which is a project that, you know, I'm a huge fan of, you know, the, the devil horns in Crypto Chicks have become just a one that's kind of like the staple of what people are kind of looking for in that, uh, in that community. And, and then, you know, there's other aspects of like even the color lipstick that all of a sudden became one where, where kind of people are rallying around and I will say the my the very first project I kind of fell in love with and 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 jumped into was Crypto Dads and Crypto Dads I I got a Kobe jersey which was referred to as the the, the girl dad as Kobe uh, rest in peace uh, as you know the most prominent girl dad there was um and like to me like the girl dad Kobe jerseys of Crypto Dads I would pay more money for them than probably the you know 50 to the top 50 to 100 in rarity um, in that collection, but it took me a while to kind of get to that understanding. What are what's your take there on like rarity ver based on you know properties and tools versus like rarity based on what the community is drawn to? Yeah, it's a great question, and so I actually really kind of dislike the overall rarity. I think not only does it not it's, i think it's an, it's it's an algorithm that was set up in a certain way and what does rare really mean for me i i think for example dapper dinos uh the the most rare tra trait is this mech helmet right only 0.021% have them but because they have that helmet they don't happen to have other rare traits cuz you can't put other headwear on and you can't put anything on their face and so in the rarity ranking they're actually not that rare yet it is 100% by 2x the most rare trade out there. So first, I have issues with the rarity algorithms in general. Second, I, you know, I and I've felt this early on, unless you're talking top 100 rarity, maybe top 500 or 1,000, maybe, depends on the project, rarity is just a marketing tactic that people use to sell their their tokens. Preach, it's preach. It's like... <laughs> It's kind of like, oh, I have V friend of, you know, I have, there's 20 cores of each different V friend. I have number one or I have number five and five is Gary's favorite number. Right. Right. And I saw that early on. It was clear that there were people who were in the business, flipping shoes, flipping sports tickets, who were here using those age old tactics that have worked for years. And, and they've worked for good reason in other scenarios, right? Yep. You have a million 
rookie cards out there, it matters what, which one is centered and what the margins are. But you only have 20 VFriends tokens, right? I don't care if it's number one or number five or number 16, right? And so I, I think some of that is marketing tactic. And then most importantly is what you're talking about. I gravitate not to the most rare traits. I'll use Dapper Dinos as an example. The second most rare trait is a tattoo of an anchor on the chest of dinos. I can hardly see the anchor. So for me, yes, it's a rare trait, but it's not distinctive. And why does that matter? People like rare traits because they like to have something coveted because they want to flex it to their friends and family and other people that see them. And so if that rare trait, if you can't look at the token and acknowledge it's rare by looking at it, is it really that rare in the eyes of everyone else? You know, you're not getting that flex factor, right? So for me, the most desirable traits are the ones that are rare and distinctive. Oh, I, I love that. You, that I mean, that's such an important piece there, right? And I think, you know, that is one that we're seeing, you know, projects that are launched that really are diving deep into some of these things where they're shifting the narrative, right? And I, I grew up being a, you know, a card collector. I have, you know, literally in the corner of my office, I'm looking at them now. I have probably 30 boxes of unopened uh, baseball card boxes that, you know, my dad had gotten. And I remember a couple of them, like I can flip them over and it's, you know, it's one, you know, it's number 100 of the 1000 collection. And my dad remember being like, you got number 100. Like, this is just as good as getting number one, you know, because it's even 100. And like, for me, like it never, it never really made a lot of sense. It's like, well, doesn't really just more matter that it's one of only a thousand that were ever that right. made. And, and, and so I think that's an important, um, you know, characteristic and also like how things show up. And, you know, um, we mentioned, you know, expansion punks is a great one where, you know, they have the non-binary, uh, trade as, as one, you know, 1% of the entire collection and, and 60% female and, uh, 40% or 39%, um, male. And I think, you know, the, the way that that collection is built from a um, visual perspective, I really love. I really love um, you know, some of the, the nuances that are there, where there's other projects that have launched recently that have done a great job of, of kind of dissecting that, but I don't think a great job of displaying that, especially in a, in a PFP form, which I think we're, we're kind of getting uh, more familiar with. And so the, the other part I wanted to kind of take this on is you have a very you know, interesting perspective because you, you, you jumped into early projects. You have, you've been building up, you know, an, a great collection of projects, but you also became, you know, a kind of a, one of the co-founders and leaders of a project. I'm curious, what is like, what is your perspective changed or which things maybe do you appreciate more in NFT projects now that you've had to sit on the other side of the fence on uh, the fame lady squad? Yeah. I mean, and for me, it comes back to patience, right? Like, I think it's really easy for people to feel frustrated with a project, to feel like they're not moving fast enough, to feel like they're not being responsive enough. And we were in a unique situation. We picked up a project. We didn't have four months to plan. We had no mint money. We didn't have time to recruit anyone. We had to hit the ground running. So it was somewhat unique. But I have empathy for these projects that, you know what, they have a million and one things going on. And right now they're trying to negotiate that metaverse contract to make sure that your you know, 3D avatar looks you know, spick and span, the person who's complaining in the discord, like, yeah, they missed it that day or for three days, you know? And so I think, yes, in an ideal world, every project is moving at a lightning speed and they're sharing every single move and being a hundred percent transparent. I, I think everyone should work towards that. But in reality, a great project can exist without doing every one of those pieces perfectly. And I think we don't have enough patience to let founders that we believe in play out the narrative. Oh, that's, I mean, that's a great one. And, and I will say, you know, the impatience of, of new collectors of a new project is, you know, it's partially, I believe, you know, a little bit to blame on roadmaps that are impossible to deliver on that are way more projection than they are actual, you know, understanding of what can be executed on. And I don't really blame a lot of projects for that. I blame, you know, the, the overall trend of, of where these things kind of were forced upon a lot of these projects. And, and it just became something that you had to have yet, you know, I would actually argue, I, I would rather a project not have a, a roadmap and have more examples of things they've actually already done and accomplished that they can, you know, prove that, you know, they can do these things. Uh, as you mentioned, like, you know, V friends dropping with Gary V and saying, you know, I'm going to have three years of conferences. 
I mean, it's pretty easy to know that Gary delivers on conferences as a speaker, as also as an organizer. You didn't have to really guess if Gary was going to deliver on that versus, you know, other projects that are saying, you know, we're going to pitch Netflix and have a, a sitcom with our, our characters, yet they've never pitched a project, you know, anything to Netflix. They've never uh, designed that kind of, uh, you know, collection or uh, story before. And so I think that's, you know, such an interesting kind of perspective here. And, and I will say, you know, the other part of this, you know, I've loved, you know, fame ladies uh, since the early, like kind of the very first time I heard the story and, you know, as a girl dad, as a massive big believer in, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion in this space and also, you know, representation, you know, there's been such a, a beautiful emergence of a amazing um, women-led projects as well as uh, projects that are women PFP, women character uh, focused projects. And I'm curious from the standpoint of being, you know, one that identifies as male in that project with fame ladies and really the, the disgustingness that happened with, uh, you know, the fact that it was people faking like they were females um, with the launch of that project. How do, how do you look at your role in that in that collection and how can we like learn from that? Because I know there's a, a lot of people, especially some friends of mine in the discord and they're like, Brian, you know, I love that you can lean in on the girl dad and and be a strong advocate or a strong ally. But like, where where do I fit? And so I'm curious how like how you look at that as as your role, because families does has have a, you know, an amazingly strong team, an amazing strong community. And how do you look at your role as a, a male in there? And what can we learn from that? Yeah, so I, I just I just DM'd you a thread that I posted, I guess last week now, man, it feels like yesterday, where I really kind of leaned into that exact question. Um, and if you could pin that, if if you haven't read it, if other people haven't read it, I'd highly encourage you to. It it lays out kind of, uh, and I'll talk about it right now, but it lays out a slightly different perspective than what I think the narrative has been out there. First of all, you know, one of the biggest frustrations I've had being in Fame Lady Squad is, oh, I like the art, but, you know, I'm male and I don't, I don't want to have a woman as my PFP. And it's like, well, there are thousands of women who have no problem putting a male PFP up there. Like, come on, this is ridiculous. Like, that that's, I, I find that to be in, it, super sexist and, and just in general, like, not a good look. And so I think, for one, if that's an issue you have, get over it. You know, like it's about the art. It's about the incredible founding team, the roadmap, the community. It's about something you believe in. It doesn't matter if it matches your gender. That's my, that's my personal opinion. Um, second, I would say I'm, I'm skipping around here a little bit and I, and I'll come back to all your questions, but no, take, take, take this where you want to, I love the thread, by the way, we yeah, have the thread up there. I, I, um, I've had some frustration in the last few weeks because we've seen all of these female led projects pumping and everyone's like, Oh, it's like the time of the female PFP or the time of the female project and kind of people gravitating towards these projects because they have female avatars not because they are fucking excellent, amazing projects with some of the best founders, with some of the most impressive roadmaps I've seen out there. Boss Beauties, they're a team of 10 that have been working for seven years already. They then launch an NFT as part of their core business, right? Continue to crush it with what I think are the biggest partnerships, maybe bar, maybe bar Nike and Adidas, right? But some of the biggest partnerships with some of the biggest brands, political entities, um, corporate entities out there. And they're just getting their day in the spotlight now just because female PFPs are pumping, you know? And so women have to work twice as hard as men to be able to be seen, to be able to be taken more seriously, to be paid an equal wage. And so I, I think it it's amazing that all of these projects have gotten the attention and they hundred percent deserve it, but not because they have female PFPs. They deserve it because they're excellent projects. Well said. Well, well said. And I could not agree more. I've, I've made this, you know, I, I got to, you know, interview M, uh, the C CMO of crypto chicks 
And I, I've said this, you know, loud and proud without hesitation that any project that she's involved in or that she's you know, advising in or, or collecting is one that I would bullishly put my money behind because of you know, her leadership. And, and Boss Beauties is another one. I know we uh, have talked to the team about getting Boss Beauties uh, team here on the podcast as well. Uh, I love what the Fame Lady Squad has done as well. And, I, you know, and I've said, too, like one of the things that you know, I believe we have to kind of recognize in this space as well is, you know, we can't fall back into, you know, old cultural norms or cultural, you know, things that we accepted um, as, you know, the way of the past, right? Because it's just going to uh, continue a lot of the things that we all, you know, kind of want to change around uh, the future as well. And and I love, you know, Fame Lady Squad uh, from day one has been a project that I've, you know, not only really loved the different things that are going on, but I also, you know, I posted this tweet earlier. I was in the in the space last night and Fame Lady Squad was doing a, a collaboration uh, with Catharsis uh, NFT and I ended up minting one of those for our project and then I ended up winning <laughs> the uh, the opportunity to do get one of the giveaways and so I want to give oh, away. No way, I'm so jealous. I did. I got the uh, I got the giveaway for the you know the wearable. So it's the I get to pick one of the rings um, from the team there. So I was it was one of those things where I was in the space and I was like. I don't ever win these things. And, uh, you know, sure enough, there, there were, they were those of us that had minted in that, you know, group. Uh, I was excited to have that. Of course, now I have the decision of like, which four ring, which of the four rings, uh, do I want to mint? Um, but I'm curious from, you know, your standpoint, you know, one of the things you mentioned as far as patience, you know, kind of education. And you also mentioned earlier about like the, like the dashboards and the things that you're sharing as far as data. Can you give us some of the data that you're looking at and some of the things that you wished, you know, as a whole that we identified more than just kind of like the vanity data that unfortunately has been provided to us from a lot of platforms, which I think often leads people in the in the wrong direction or it's not enough context for them to actually make uh, conscious decisions. Like what are some of the data that you, that you kind of share or rely on that you know, could really help out some of the, the audience? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, mo- again, most of my data is like kind of dirty trait data to suss and parse some stuff out. I think, and it, and and I want to talk a little bit about overall project data, which I think a lot of people are hungry for. And there's a couple of reasons why I stay away from that and think that it's problematic. For one, the market is so driven by how crypto is doing, how the economy is doing, whether someone, whether, you know, a new huge project is coming up and everyone's liquidating their assets to get in it, like Mecca or Hape, right? And so... I just, I don't think it's possible to predict where floor prices go, right? And so that's a big reason why why I lean into projects I believe in. I believe in the founders. I believe in, I, I love the art, et cetera. And that's what I think is going to push something up or down, right? And I often will call something out as, hey, I think this is really underpriced because I see, you know, Crypto Mori's price at 0.1. And then I see, I don't know. Pudgy penguins priced at two ETH. And I'm like, have you looked at the two communities? You know, and so like that's where I kind of make a higher conviction statements. But it's just, and I know some people try to do it and they have their candle charts. And I actually make fun of people. I'm like, that's a twip, triple twirl doodle rainbow pattern. Like <laughs> that definitely means that we're going to see like a double bump in the next 17 weeks. You know, like I just think. So much of it is just they're looking for patterns, not necessarily that the patterns are driven by something in actuality. So that's kind of my the chip on my shoulder about that. The other issue with data is so many of the data points that I look for, that other people look for, like, you know, do they have enough Twitter followers? But not too many because then it looks like they bought some. Do they have <laughs> enough people in the Discord? But not too many because it looks like they incentivize people. How many unique holders do they have? But when you look at a great project that's in the beginning phases, they're going to have low numbers, right? And so if everyone only invests in projects with an amazing, you know, unique holder ratio and that sweet spot of like 20 to 50,000 Twitter followers, no one would mint a project because no project would ever be able to get there. And so again, it, you know, it comes back to those high conviction plays and using the data a little bit in more just casual comparative ways. Like, you know, I think for a more mature project, how many unique holders are there? Or simple things like, what's the volume look like? Volume is really healthy for any project, and that's how floors will move. 
whether that be up or down, if no one's selling and no one's buying, that's when things get a little stale and more in trouble and people get impatient and start listing lower and lower and lower. And so, you know, it's, these are things that anyone can look at on OpenSea, right? You have that little volume chart and you can see how the volume has been trending. Uh, the other red flag for me is, is this in a crazy pump, right? So was it 2.2 yesterday and today it's 1.5. There have been, with the exception of maybe some of the greats out there, I have never seen a project go from 0.2 to 1.5 and hold at 1.5 or continue to go up. It always corrects back down, right? And so even if I am high conviction in a project and it's way up there, I'm like in a short period of time, it's climbed a ton. I'm just I like I can't buy it because I even even if it does keep going up, I've got to be okay with missing it because nine times out of 10, it's going to come back down and cool off. And so not buying into those pumps. So again, like it's more soft data here, not like hard metrics. I apologize for not having. No, no, no. Data. There's no need to apologize on that. Actually, I think that, I mean, honestly, I, I anticipated that's where you were going on these because I, I could not agree more. Right. And, I, and it's not that I only want to bring on people that, that share my exact point of view, but I also think there's, you know, it's very easy to, you know, allow some of the, you know, I refer to it as the, you know, the crypto bros that love to, you know, you know, speculate and overanalyze and believe that, you know, all of the, the trends map year over year. And, and it's so easy for, you know, people to, to find data to match the narrative they want, right? It's so easy in this space. And, and I believe it's so easily shared in that way. And I think, you know, I can appreciate the idea of, you know, understanding some of these, like, these norms. And I will say one of the things you said that I just want to highlight for everyone is that there, there, there are places and there's opportunities where you just have to appreciate that, Hey, I probably missed this one. And even if it goes up from here, like good on it. And I'm okay missing it because, you know, the, the overall, like my overall trend or my overall, you know, synopsis of this is it, it might level out or, Hey, I, there's others that I can get into. And I think that goes kind of cycles back to, you know, your kind of original thoughts on these projects on having like the, you know, the eight that you really are, are dialed into and you're, you're, you're focused on, you understand the narrative and traits. And I'm curious from a standpoint of a, of a collector's perspective, you know, these ones that you, that you, you know, have really strong convictions with the founders, um, you, you really love and appreciate the different characteristics. How many of them are you collecting? Is there like a, a certain number? I know certain people we had uh, Franklin on who's uh, he holds 37 board apes and he he's like his mission has been to keep it between 34 and 38 at all times, which I like, asked if there was a reason. He's like, no, it's just like something fun for me to keep it between. But I'm curious, like, is there are there things that you're looking for? in those collections that you know that you're hundred percent bullish on that you don't really care how many you have. If these certain traits come up or these certain, uh, you know, you know, uh, combinations come up, you're going to snatch them up. Like what's, what's yeah. your thought on those? Uh, so I, there's, there's two rules that I give people. One is if you can afford it buy in the rule of threes. So I, I say that in terms of if I buy three of something and I'm, I don't do this for every project. There's many high conviction projects I buy less of because I can only buy less. I buy more of. There's ones I hold forever. There's ones I don't. So this is just like a general good rule that I found has been helpful for people, which is buy three, try to flip one quickly to make all your money back, right? So you minted three all at 0. 0.06 and, you know, the floor pumps to point, what is that? 0. 0.18. Let's pretend there's no taxes or fees. You flip one for 0.18, all of a sudden you've made all your money back. You're playing with house money. You are whole again and you have two to just let ride, right? It's the dream. And and you'll see a lot of really successful flippers. And I'm actually moving away a little bit from flipping. I have kind of really taken a pause on that. Um, And I talk about flipping in a second here, but you're left with two. Okay, well, what do you do with the two? Well, okay, then you wait. Hopefully you're only investing in high conviction projects. You wait for a huge pump. So maybe that was World of Women back in, uh, what was it? No, uh, September, it pumped a four ETH, right? And you're like, wow, this is up there. I'm going to take some profit. I'm going to sell one. Well, you feel comfortable selling your high conviction, the project you don't want out of it. So you still have that one forever World of Women. But you were able to take some really healthy profit on a project you were highly convicted about. And that's good. 
You know, you, it's, you are the one who picked this project. You did your research, you know, you had conviction, you held it beyond that quick flip that everyone else was doing. And there were some ups and downs and now the project has this moment and you're going to take a little profit. If you don't do that, you're going to run out of ETH and not be able to buy new things, which is also fine. But for me, it's fun to buy new things and get into new stuff and research it. And unless I sell things, I'm just not going to be able to do it. So the rule of threes for me is a healthy way to think about approaching a project. I love that. And we, and funny enough, the, the episode that's pre-recorded for tomorrow that I already recorded is actually the, the title of it is, is, you know, how the number three is ruling all of my decisions in the <laughs> NFT space. So oh, we no are, way. yeah, it is. That's, which is, uh, you know, so aligned in, and it's connected to like, I have a three wallet system, right. And I have, you know, the rule of threes with minting NFTs and even, Lately, it's been the rule of threes for um, reviewing projects. I, I I'd taken on this idea of minting an NFT every day, um, and realized that like some days there's eight projects I want to research, and I recognize that I end up doing half-ass research on eight projects rather than recognizing, hey, my bandwidth is really narrowing it down right as quickly as I can yeah. to three, and then diving down on those three. So I love that. Um, I'm also like you know the, you brought up the flipping, and I, I want to tap on that because. And, you know, I'm very bullish and not flip shaming uh, people. I think we can all approach this space in our own ways. And in many cases, I often have to remind people that, you know, there is, you know, often a creator percentage that is happening every time that sale is happening. And and for many collections, that's the the budget and the money that's allowing these collections to thrive. And and Fame Lady Squad is like the greatest example of that of all time because they didn't get the, the mint money um, in when uh, the amazing team kind of came in and rescued that project. And if it wasn't for secondary... Uh, sales the the idea of having a budget to operate that uh, project would be almost uh you know <laughs> obsolete but i also think like there's a there's sometimes either there's a shame of flipping and then there's like this like uh glorified view of what that flipping life looks like and like i believe the truth is probably <laughs> more in the middle but i'd love to hear your take on flipping and why you're kind of you know phasing that out a little yeah i'm phasing it out because i realize it's just not profitable i think i've lost maybe 10 ETH, <laughs> trying to time it right, not timing it right, buying things that I thought were going to be flippable that weren't and went to zero, you know, just like, and I wanted to give it a shot. A lot of successful people were out there doing it. And I was like, this is a new skill I'm going to learn and figure it out. And I, I did have some success. And I think with a little bit more discipline, um, you know, I or someone else could be successful doing that. It just didn't give, bring me the same joy as my tried and true method. So I, and I, and I like the, the idea of no flip shame. I will pump and dump shame. <laughs> and I think we're seeing a lot less of that. Yes, those who yes. are familiar. Let, let's clarify the difference between pump and dump shame and, and flipping shame. I, I think it's such important. I mean, p- pump and dump, right. It hasn't happened a ton, although I think it happened with squiggles today and I can talk about it yep. if you'd like. Yeah. Squiggles but today is a good example. It was influencers. I'm, I'm not going to name them, but they would, usually with their friends in a back room decide, okay, here's a project. We're going to buy a ton ton of them. Um, And, you know, and then they announce it and they're like, Oh wow, these influencers are buying in it. And then everyone's buying because the influencers did and the influencers just unload all their bags as the price goes up. Now in full transparency, I'm in some back rooms with some people. There are projects we have chosen to go, Hey, we're going to go all in this project. But I still hold all those tokens. <laughs> Xpunks is a good example, right? Me and a group found Xpunks. They hadn't minted out in four or five months. We, a bunch of whales went in and literally sold this thing out. But I still hold 27, 37 of them, right? So um, pumping's not necessarily bad. Flipping's not necessarily bad. But the two in tandem for me is is dishonest and, and uh, exploitative. So... What good flipping is, in my mind, is, you know, it's, you you need volume and you need tokens to change hands and you need to have unique holders tick up for projects to be healthy and succeed. That's just something we've seen, right? For better or for worse. And so people out there selling things and buying them and, you know, part of that is flipping them is healthy for a project. And it just needs to happen, right? So 
I, I don't think there's any shame in doing that. I think it's super risky, especially if you're trying to day flip or hour flip. Um, and that's how I think most people win money. It's also really bad for your mental health because you're going to stress that out. But, um, uh, you know, I think it's not, it's not an evil. It's actually something that's necessary for, it's like the, to get the blood pumping through the veins. It helps kind of get the uh, economics be like, the M1, the velocity of M1 going, which is critical. So, you know, and I, and I, I like that you kind of broke down kind of those you know pieces. And I am also one that has been a part of, and currently a part of, you know, some, you know, back rooms or some, uh, you know, private groups that, you know, are, are making moves on, on projects. And, you know, I think the, the, you know, I ended up having to remove myself from, from two of them just based simply on like, I didn't appreciate the, the tactics and even the narrative of, of reasons. And, and it might cost me money in the long run, but it was more my, my own sanity and, and mental health there. And, and I think, you know, that is an important piece. And I, I've shared that here on the podcast pretty often is, you know, finding people that you can surround yourself with that, you know, maybe you're not even all aping into the same project, but you could all, you, you can get kind of like that third party validation. Like, Hey, I'm checking out this project. I think it looks pretty good. What are your thoughts? Right. And having that like core group. But I know, like, I think one of the things that jumped out for me, I think when I first came across you on Twitter and like, uh, you know, just through some tweets and some interaction was the idea of like us, you know, as a whole being able to shape the culture and the, the, the NFT community that we all want to be a part of. And it's very easy for us to blame and shame and break down and, and call out the influencers that, you know, maybe are, are kind of taking advantage of it. But I think the more productive version of that is us, you know, trying to elevate great projects and celebrating great people that are doing good things, but also, you know, letting people be aware of rug pulls and things that are happening. And you mentioned, you know, squiggles, which, you know, I feel like as, I had sent out an example of the Squiggles website to like two people in, in one of our groups. And I feel like within the next 20 minutes, I got about 30 messages from people like, Hey, this might be a rug pull. Hey, this looks like a, you know, a pump and dump or even, uh, you know, manipulating of wallets that was going on there. So I'm curious, you know, I will kind of wrap this you know conversation. And I really appreciate uh, your time. When you think about the overall picture of how do we, you know, shape the culture? How do we lead in, in positive ways? What's like kind of your take? What is your vision on that? And like, how can we like all together kind of collectively, you know, kind of drive this, you know, or at least point this ship in the right direction. I don't know if any of us are driving it, but at least we can yeah. together kind of point it in the direction that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought it up because it's really been a theme of what I've been thinking about and sharing on Twitter a lot the last few weeks. Right. And which is, it's in our power to choose who we do and don't support and who we do and don't give our money to. Right. So rug pullers only succeed when we don't, we are lackadaisical about our research. When we don't vet the founders, when we don't check to see if they're doxxed and we get in those projects because we have dollar signs in our eyes. Right. When we support those projects, they succeed. And so more people do rug pulls because they see it as a great way to make money. Right. And, and I, I don't know how they sleep at night, but, you know, I, I think th that's what we're seeing. If we do our research, we demand founders are dogs. We demand transparency, right? We go over the website with a fine tooth comb and we choose projects that we don't just think are going to do well. Of course, we're going to choose ones that we think are going to do well, but also we have high conviction in, Right then all of a sudden the right projects are going to be winning and the bad projects are going to go away. So it's almost like, and I think this, it's one of the beautiful parts of this space. It's almost like what we try to do as consumers as a whole in the United States, I, I can't speak for other countries where maybe a founder of a, um, a company says something or, or does something you don't agree with. And there's a boycott and you decide to really stick it to them. Well, it's a little hard in the U S first, First of all, the scale, right? When I'm a huge corporation, I'm selling hundreds of millions of product, not just 10,000, right? And so when you take that down to the 10,000 scale, the individual or the group of 10 or the group of 50, or the group of 100 can have an impact and move the needle, right? And then also the playing field is a little bit more level, right? Like I don't have some deal with Kroger that I'm center, you know, center display on your shelf and you can't carry any other brand for the next six months. And I've kind of elbowed out everyone else. And as a consumer, I don't really have much choice because they've kind of the barriers of entry are so high. 
it's a pretty level fail- playing field for now in the NFT space. So there aren't some sort of like mechanisms or things happening in the NFT economy that are forcing us one way. It's just our, it's our decision. It's where we want to put our money. I love that. And I love where, you know, I think, you know, and I think the idea of like, you know, the 10,000, right. And we also just have to recognize as well as, you know, there's what, you know, somewhere around 4 million people total that currently own an NFT. Uh, We are, you know, without question in the infancy stage of, like true volume of, you know, NFT holders. And and I do believe, you know, the collections with the strong founders, as you mentioned, the the collections with, you know, their purpose driven and, and the core being that, you know, community that you believe in are really ones that, you know, can really help us all kind of shape that that future by, you know, supporting them and, and kind of focusing on them. And so uh, Data, I, I really appreciate you jumping in. Uh, is there any last words or any comments or things you want to leave the audience with? The one thing I tell everyone, and this is rule number one, well, rule number one is don't spend any money you can't you can't afford to lose. Expect everything to go to zero at any moment, right? That's one. But one A is always stay liquid. And that comes back to the rule of threes and how much to buy. If it's going to clean you out, don't do it, right? Because there will be a moment where you see something and you know it's not just like, oh, I think it's a good mint or I'm gambling here. You know holy shit, that is a deal and a half and I need to buy it right now and you want to have the money to do it. Let me give you an example. Sorry, we're going a little long. I just This no, is a, good. an important point for me. World of Women, early on, right? I was super lucky, minted 12, um, had some really rare ones, etc. I was kind of after the fame lady stuff, I was a little disillusioned, you know, got really involved in the World of Women community early on, cl- became clear really quickly that they had something special and they announced these things called wow clubs, which are essentially like special rewards or special um, kind of perks you get. One of them is they take, I think it's 5% of all royalty profits and split it among the 20 people who own this specific token. You have to have magic wow earrings and necklace. Right. And so, I mean, you do the math now, right? They're going for 160, 210 ETH last week. But I saw one on the floor for 2.1 ETH. And I knew because of what I, I'd been paying attention. I knew this. I knew I had to have it. I'm calling people. I'm any friend I have. I'm like, do you have the ETH? Like, not even for me. Buy it. This is amazing. Of course, within the hour, it gets, it gets bought. The next week, it sells for 100 ETH. Ooh. And so always have you will have that moment i promise i've had other moments similar to that where you see that one token or that one opportunity or that floor that's just dipped for that one moment on that project that you've been wanting to get in on make sure you have the money to do it liquidity 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 it's uh it's it's hard to wrap your head around the concept because it almost sounds too basic until you recognize the things that you just shared there. Cause I think it's so important. It's something that it took me many, many months to understand that, you know, having the, the ETH there to take advantage of the project that you know is the one you want to get on versus the ones that you're just kind of jumping in, taking chances along the way and not giving yourself that opportunity is, is essential. And I will also say, you know, for, you know, for everyone listening, you know, make sure you follow, you know, data. I'll make sure to include all the, uh, you know, his information in the uh, show notes of the podcast. And I will say, you know, I, I've got a lot, uh, not a lot, but I've had some feedback, you know, recently um, in our discord of people asking like, Brian, you mentioned there's, you know, people that you distance yourself from or projects that you're glad that you got out of, um, you know, can you share those? And, and I'm just going to put this out there from my own individual perspective and, and we can all kind of decide how we do that. I, I would much rather as a community, as an audience, focus on the projects that I highlight often focus on the ones that are my PFP very often focus on the ones that I amplify that I don't hold in my bag. I I talk about the lazy lions often. I've never owned a lazy lion, but I uh, I can appreciate and been a part of many of the spaces they've been in. And I, I prefer, and, and it's based on a long track history of my own mental health of, of recognizing that, you know, going after those that are either have different values than me or that are doing things that I would never be okay with doing, you know, kind trying to break them down or stop them from doing that uh, is really a lose-lose game. There really isn't a win there. 
And when I look at the win, it's more about educating and it's more about celebrating, you know, the great projects, the great people. And there's no mistake, you know, the first project that I have two members of the project on the podcast are is the Fame Lady Squad. And we have two members of their of their team on the podcast because I believe in that community. I believe in the story. I I love you know, for me, when I think about, you know, the the faith in the NFT space and the idea that a project that was, you know, founded under false pretense just simply because people saw that there was a vacancy in the market and the fact that it was able to be taken over by community members and there was, you know, art check in the community that used her influence to help get the contract back. Like these are projects that we want to spotlight. These are projects and people that we need to celebrate on. And so you won't hear that that negativity, the the calling out coming from me. I will call out those that are scam artists and those that are uh, are you know doing things as far as rug pull projects. But as far as individuals go, our individual projects go. I would much rather people focus on ones that are being mentioned. I know I took notes when when Data was talking about his you know eight projects that he loves. I wrote down those eight projects because. You know, I respect um, him and the decisions and even just listening to the podcast and the answers, I'm aligned. Therefore, if I'm aligned with him and those are the projects that he values the most, well, those are projects I probably should be paying attention to as well. And so that's kind of my my hope and vision for the podcast, for the community that we're all building. And, you know, I, I just it's been a lot of fun. This project, you know, we're getting closer to episode 100, uh, which is just wild to think of. I don't think I envisioned this project getting uh, doing it every day through Christmas. I, I, I kind of just looked at Christmas as when I would give up on this everyday journey. And uh, now I can't vision a day in the future that I don't have a, a, a podcast episode dropping. And it has a lot to do with just the the impact, um, the great people, and, and really taking an opportunity like this and, and grabbing data and saying, hey, I want to get you on the podcast and, and jumping on. So for all those listening, for everybody supporting the show, uh, as always, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for uh, supporting with ADHD Coin. Make sure you follow our, our guest and some of the links in the show notes. And uh, until tomorrow, cheers. Thank, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research.